Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph, your average Bible nerd, taking his way slowly through the books of both Deuteronomy and Romans. Today, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and it's a big boy. We've got a long chapter ahead of us. Um, we're going to talk about blessings and all of the good things that will happen to the people of Israel if they follow through with all of the laws in the Torah. And then we're going to talk about some more curses and all the bad things that are going to happen in the inverse. We're going to talk about Egypt and the plagues. We're going to talk about enemies and locusts. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. So come along for the ride as we dive into chapter 28, which might be the most important chapter in the book of Deuteronomy. Stay tuned to find out more. So we are in a final section in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, We're only a few chapters away from the end, guys. Um, I'm super excited for this, Um, getting all the way to the end. And uh, this last section is meant to be a summary section in a huge way. Um, It's focused specifically on um, all of the laws that uh, came before it, and it's picking and choosing from all of those laws. both the good things and the bad things that God said in those laws, um, and essentially organizing them all into a section of blessings and a section of curses. Um, We've actually talked about this before on the podcast as well, how um, uh, in old treaties they would list out the stipulations of the laws, and then they would list out a section of what would happen if either party decided to break with um, that uh, treaty. In this case, um, uh, we see really no uh, instance of what would happen if God broke his part of the deal, um, because God uh, uh, is going to continually be faithful to Israel, um, and so there's no need to go into blessings and curses on God's side of the fence, but um, there is a lot of focus on what happens if Israel should and will, I guess I'll say, spoiler, um, break the covenant. And so the focus of these chapters is primarily to give us that um, viewpoint into what's going to happen. Um, and in, in a huge way, uh, I would encourage you guys to read um, both the chapter before this and this chapter um, in light of the prophetic books and Isaiah. Um, we've run through Isaiah and see that this isn't just um, God getting super mad and intense um, after Israel fails, um, but instead, um, by the time of Isaiah, um, it's actually God doing exactly what he said he was going to do way back in Deuteronomy if they actually did not follow through with any of the blessing, uh, any of the uh, commands that he asked them to do. So, um, from the beginning of this chapter, like I said, this is going to be a very long chapter, and a lot of the reason for its uh, length is because uh, 
it really reiterates itself twice. Um, it starts with all of the things that um, Israel's going to get as a blessing, and then it's going to switch to um, those same things, um, but uh, going poorly for the Israelites. And so we'll kind of, uh, I think the best way to kind of tackle this is to really just walk through all the blessings first and then kind of uh, gloss over the curses a little bit more quickly um, just for the sake of time for this podcast. I try and keep this podcast specifically in Deuteronomy a little shorter, especially than the Romans one, um, since you guys know that I tend to be very long-winded with the Romans one. Um, But uh, I do highly encourage you to meditate on all of this and to really, uh, one of the things that um, I think would be really helpful with chapters like this is to actually find examples of uh, Israel's actually receiving this kind of punishment um, and curses that will happen um, further on into the book. And so keeping an eye out for um, times where stories come up where um, these curses um, come true um, is can be very helpful. So um, with all that said, let's go ahead and dive into the chapter. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed, and the crops of your land, and the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in, and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you put your hand to, until you are destroyed, 
and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. The Lord will plague you with the diseases until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It will come down from the skies until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven, and you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds and the wild animals, and there will be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors, festering sores, and the itch from which you cannot be cured. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. At midday, you will grope about like a blind person in the dark. You will be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. You will be pledged to be married to a woman, but another will take her and rape her. You will build a house, but you will not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will not even begin to enjoy its fruit. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you will eat none of it. Your donkey will be forcibly taken from you and will not be returned. The sheep will be given to your enemies, and no one will rescue them. Your sons and daughters will be given to another nation, and you will wear out your eyes, watching for them day after day, powerless to lift a hand. A people that you do not know will eat what your land and labor produce, and you will have nothing but cruel oppression all your days. The sights you see will drive you mad. The Lord will afflict your knees and legs with painful boils that cannot be cured, spreading from the soles of your feet to the top of your head. The Lord will drive you and the king you set over you to a nation unknown to you or to your ancestors. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone. You will become a thing of horror, a byword, and an object of ridicule among all the peoples where the Lord will drive you. You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little, because locusts will devour it. You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes, because worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the oil, because the olives will drop off. You will have sons and daughters, but you will not keep them, because they will go into captivity. Swarms of locusts will take over all your trees and the crops of your land. The foreigner who reside among you will rise above you higher and higher, but you will sink lower and lower. They will lend to you, but you will not lend to them. They will be the head, but you will be the tail. All these curses will come on you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you. They will be a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. Therefore, in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you, 
He will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand. A fierce-looking nation, without respect for the old or pity for the young. They will devour the young of your livestock and the crops of your land until you are destroyed. They will leave you no grain, new wine, or olive oil, nor any calves of your herds or lambs of your flocks until you are ruined. They will lay siege to all the cities throughout your land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. They will besiege all the cities throughout the land the Lord your God is giving you. Because of the suffering that your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of the womb, the flesh of the sons and daughters the Lord your God has given you. Even the most gentle and sensitive man among you will have no compassion on his own brother or the wife he loves or his surviving children, and he will not give to one of them any of the flesh of his children that he is eating. It will be all he has left because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege of all your cities. The most gentle and sensitive woman among you, so sensitive and gentle that she would not venture to touch the ground with the sole of her foot, will begrudge the husband she loves and her own son or daughter, the afterbirth from her womb and the children she bears. For in her dire need, she intends to eat them secretly because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege of your cities. If you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in this book, and do not revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, the Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters, and severe and lingering illness. He will bring on you all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded, and they will cling to you. The Lord will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of the law, until you are destroyed. You, who were as numerous as the stars in the sky, will be left but few in number, because you did not obey the Lord your God. Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, so it will please him to ruin and destroy you. You will be uprooted from the land you are entering to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all nations, from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your ancestors have known. Among those nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing, and a despairing heart. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread both day and night. Never sure of your life. In the morning you will say, If only it were evening, and in the evening, if only it were morning, because of the terror that will fill your hearts and the sights that your eyes will see. The Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey. I said, You should never make again. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. All right, so uh, like I said, pretty long chapter. Um, this chapter starts off with um, all of the good things that'll happen. And um, it's really interesting because the first thing um, it says is a phrase that has come up many times in the book of Deuteronomy up until this point. Um, if you fully obey, 
God and follow all his commands, good things are going to happen, right? And in this case, um, it says, um, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. I haven't really talked about all of the like cosmological um, interesting things that happen with um, the people of Israel in this time period. Um, one of the fascinating things about Genesis 1 is that, um, and the Bible Project does a great job of kind of bringing this out, but the idea is that um, the earth is in some way, shape, or form still on like some kind of globe of sorts or flat surface. We don't really know. Um, but um, underneath it is um, uh, water, and it's like a dark and chaotic water that just lives at the very bottom of the earth. And so it's kind of more vertical than horizontal as far as how they thought about the earth. And so they, they assume that on one side of the earth, it's just water. And then the further up you went up the sides of the earth, the more closer to land you got. And then all the land was on the very top of earth, so to speak. Um, and, uh, one, one of the interesting things is, um, they then assumed that uh, the higher you went past Earth, you would then get to the heavens. And then you would get through the heavens, which had its own um, water um, of a sort. And uh, you would get through those, and then you would get to God's space. So um, in a really uh, kind of interesting way, you had water below and then you had the earth in the middle, and then you had the waters above, and then past the waters above, you would have um, God's space, which is why you'll see, like, in the Tower of Babel, for instance, people tried to create, like, big, big towers that went as far up into the heavens as possible because they were trying to get through that layer of what they thought was water, when what, what we would call sky today, and uh, get through it so that they could get into the space of the gods, basically. And uh, this is no exception here um, with this idea of um, setting Israel higher than all the nations on earth. With this cosmology, um, the idea would be that all of the um, people of different nations are on a lower tier of the land and Israel's on a higher tier. This is also why mountains in the Old Testament became um, places where people would worship is because they were the tallest points of the earth. And so for them, at least, um, that was the closest they were going to get to God's space or the God's space. So um, the promise is, is that they're going to be set up above all the nations of the earth. And this is part of God's purpose and election. We've talked about that in Romans 9 recently. You can go check out the Romans 9 podcast to really like see. Actually, a lot of Romans 9 plays a huge part in this chapter. So it's really good to read um, Romans 9 and this chapter kind of in tandem and listen to both episodes. Um, I'm really happy with the fact that both those episodes uh, are coming out pretty close to one another because uh, they both kind of lean into one another quite heavily. In verse 2, it says, all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Just basically restating. Um, verse 3, you will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Um, this is really interesting because um, the Bible Project also just did a recent um, survey of cities in the Bible. And cities in the Bible are not, um, let's just say that they don't have that good of a track record throughout most of the Bible. Um, the first city that's ever built is built by Cain, um, and Cain um, was building the city really to escape getting murdered from anybody that might run into him. And so he formed a city really um, to uh, 
keep himself secure, and cities from that point forward become kind of this bastion of military might and strength, and it's a, sort of a defense against um, war and against people that want to murder other people. And uh, cities crop up again with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and how evil those cities are. And we really don't see cities getting kind of twisted into a, not twisted, but just getting recast in a very positive way until really um, the time of David when he sets up um, Jerusalem and the city of David. Um, Because of that, um, there uh, have been a lot of people that have felt that um, God just is really, uh, I guess I would say, anti-city and pro-country. And that um, country land and acreage and nature and the garden of Eden. Those are like where God is trying to, um, uh, return to and that cities and, um, urban urbanization and, um, uh, any kind of technological advancements are always, um, evil and wicked. And, you know, you can just point to a lot of the uh, cases of that in Genesis, even with the Tower of Babel, Sodom and Gomorrah, Cain City, just uh, over and over and over again, those cities just don't have a good positive um, perspective. At least the uh, writer of Genesis doesn't, and neither does God. So as a result, um, you could be persuaded that cities are just not um, a good thing at all. Uh, this verse does seem to kind of uh I guess I would say kind of balance that a little bit um, because he doesn't just say you'll be blessed in the country and that's it, but you also will be blessed in the city. And so he's allowing for people to live in cities and to be blessed in cities just as much as in the country. Um, It's not saying one is better than the other. Um, As a matter of fact, uh, uh, he'll actually uh, at the very end, uh, basically um, in Revelation, have both country and city kind of unite in a weird way. Um, And uh, that would be a fun podcast to talk about how the city and the country kind of unite at the very end, but I don't have time to get into it. But um, for the time being, at least, um, it's an equal blessing for both people that live in cities and people that live in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. So this is basically um, starting with children. Um, remember, children were like a beautiful thing in their culture because they were workers in the land. And that meant that you could have more people tending crops. And that meant you could have more crops and you could be more wealthy. And so the more children you had, the wealthier the wealthier you could be. And um, it was a big sign of prosperity um, if you had a lot of children. Um, You'll see numerous psalms that talk about this. Um, As a result of having many children, they'll have many crops, and then, of course, their livestock will also increase in number. This is something that um, is a theme that comes up a lot with the story of Jacob, because Jacob, um, anything um, he takes care of, he just has increased flocks as a result. Same with Abraham, both of them. And Isaac, really, although the focus is less on Isaac, if I remember correctly, it's mainly Abraham and Jacob. Both of them increase their flocks by tenfold in many cases, and it's a sign of God's blessing on them that their flocks increase. And again, this is all just wealth, really, in their culture and their time period. Um, you will be blessed when you, uh, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. So I really like this one. It's like even your tools will be blessed. Like the things you use to get wealth, um, and food and, um, uh, prosperity, um, even those things will be blessed and, um, you'll be able to handle those things and it'll produce better, uh, bread and better fruit, um, as, as a result of having God blessing them. 
Um, verse six, you will be blessed when you come in and you will be blessed when you go out. So when you enter into your home and when you exit your home, that's when, when you wake up and when you um, go to sleep. Um, and uh, I find this really endearing quality. It's just basically an overarching um, principle is that you're just going to be blessed all the time um, and God's going to be with you. And uh, as someone that like, you know, uh, has felt that in my life a lot. Um, especially lately, I've just felt like God has, um, uh, put, poured on me blessings that, um, I don't necessarily deserve, um, in a huge way, but I felt him really come close to me of late and the last year. Um, and I've felt him promise to me no matter what job I do, no matter what, um, uh, no matter what, uh, path I end up taking in life, um, he will be blessing me in whatever I put my hands to, um, and he will be with me, and um, that he's promising to um, bless me in anything I put my mind to. And I've kind of seen the fruits of that already is, you know, um, this is not to toot my own horn, but generally when I'm involved in some kind of um, uh, project or um, work job or environment, um, things tend to start working out really well after I start working for whoever I'm working for. Um, and, um, you start, I start to see a lot more prosperity as a result of my being there. And I really don't attribute that to myself at all. I attribute that just to me being in spaces, um, is really just bringing the blessing of God kind of on that space and the blessing of God then tends to take hold and, uh, make things work out in a way. I also spend a lot of time when I'm um, uh, in new places and new environments praying for other people as well um, every week. And so I, I know that he listens to those prayers as well. So it, it's kind of a double double thing there. But um, uh, I, I've found, felt that a lot more. And I encourage you, um, if you feel like God has blessed you to be that same kind of person as well. Um, verse seven, the Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. I find this very funny. So it's like they'll, they'll come all as a united army and then they'll scatter and be like seven, um, different armies all like going different directions after they come at, um, Israel because, um, they're just too strong because God's blessing is so strong on them. Verse eight, the Lord will give you a, a send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. Um, this is just a really beautiful idea of like the things you store all your food in for the winter. Um, those things are going to be blessed as well. And everything you put your hands to is going to be blessed. Um, again, kind of going back to what I was saying, um, the Lord, your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The idea being that this land is meant to make you flourish, um, make you be a person that gets to enjoy life. Um, and I will point out here, like, um, the focus here is not on some, like, um, uh, end of your life death that then gives you all of the good things, but the focus here is on life itself, the 70 to 80 years of life, um, it will give you good things. And as long as you follow after God and that like you can be someone that, um, receives this prosperity from God. Um, if you are the type of person that is, um, closely in relationship with him, I don't believe in prosperity gospel. Um, but I do believe in the general, all things working together for 
for the good of those that love God um, and are called according to his purposes. So, you know, I, th- I think you have to um, take that general rule of thumb for a lot of Christians and um, see that, like, Deuteronomy offers us a lot of beauty when it comes to living our life right now. Um, and that, like, God's intention is not just for us to kind of, like, soldier on and just endure an entire life of suffering for the 70 to 80 years, and then that gets rewarded with an afterlife that's super beautiful and super amazing. But instead, it's meant to be a life that you enjoy um, and that you um, bless others through and that you flourish in. Um, One of the interesting things about the Sermon on the Mount even is the word blessed are those um, that are poor, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. That word um, is makairos, and makairos um, means um, almost like flourish, like let you be flourished, uh, let you be um, a person that uh, uh, flourishes in your life right now, and you'll be flourishing in your life right now if you were hungering and thirsting for righteousness, if you are meek, um, if you are poor in spirit, right? Um, And those beatitudes um, really um, are saying like a human can flourish in this life here and now, um, which is a very beautiful thing. And I think it's something that Deuteronomy is focusing most on because in their time period, it was really hard to have a good life. Like we may complain about politics and we may complain about inflation and we may complain about... um, uh, just the animosity between different peoples and cultures in our time period today. But like, uh, I think if all of us were transported back to this time period, I think, uh, we would realize pretty quickly that we have it pretty well off. (laughs) Um, and regardless of all of the inflation and gas prices and everything that you might complain about, um, uh, not to belittle those things, but like, um, their time period, it was really hard to have a reliable life. Um, famines were a constant thing. Water was a constant worry. Um, getting attacked by nations was a constant thing. And so a lot of these pr- promises of good things happening in their life are way more, I guess I would say, audacious of promises than even what um, we might think of today where we have access to those things pretty red- readily and we just don't think about how how hard it was to achieve a lot of that. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think it's something that I think about a lot with a lot of these promises and it's something to meditate on. Um, it's just, you know, uh, how, how hard it would have been for a person in this context to really believe that God would bless them with these things if they followed after him. All right, so verse 9, the Lord will establish you as his holy people. Um, Remember we talked about holiness before. Holy means set apart um, from the rest of the world um, for God's specific purposes, and that's what makes them holy is um, they are set apart. Um, They have a different way of doing things that makes them distinct from the rest of the people, and it's a distinction that God is pleased with. Um, it's a, it's a distinction that um, is more like God. Actually, um, they're more like the image of God, and as a result, um, they can be His people in a way that the other nations cannot. Um, as He promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to Him, uh, 
Verse 10, then all the peoples on earth will see that you were called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. All right. So, um, you will see that the name of the Lord has cropped up again. Remember that a huge focus of why God is giving them all this prosperity is he wants the rest of the nations to see that um, having Yahweh as the God of Israel is a really good thing, and their gods aren't giving them the prosperity that um, uh, that Israel is getting essentially. And so, um, all the peoples on the earth are going to see that, um, Israel is called by the name of the Lord, right? They're, they're being, um, uh, represented. Um, they are, um, essentially elected as a people that have the name of the Lord on their hearts. Um, and in every action that they do, they are representing God and being that image of God, um, that all humans are supposed to be. And as a result, um, all the other nations are going to fear them and have this awe for them because um, who is a nation like Israel that's had all the wonderful things happen to them, um, like all these things that God is promising to them if they follow after his commands? The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. So he says it again. He reiterates the blessing once again just to show how important it is. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. Opening the heavens just means that um, he kind of opens up that barrier that's um, uh, called the rakia in um Genesis 1. Um, it's the firmament, um, this vault of the heavens that basically keeps all the waters above from coming down. And so when it opens, that's when it rains, essentially, is the way they thought about it. The storehouse of his bounty, his bounty just being the idea that rain is what brings crops. And so that's his bounty he's giving to all people. And send rain on your land in the season to bless all the work of your hands, right? They need rain to survive, and anytime it rained, they thought of it as a blessing. Um, there's this beautiful song um, that uh, is actually from like an African culture, I believe. Um, I've listened to it before. Um, uh, what What is it called? Uh, let me see if I can do a YouTube search right now on it. Um, uh Man, it's been a while since I watched that video. It's like a 14-minute like symphony uh, video um, on basically bringing the rain. Um, bring the rain um, concert. Let's see if anything pops up here. Uh, no, I'm not being able to find it, but um, it was a really um, incredible um, song that I actually kind of just saw on uh um instagram one time and uh i i thought it was so good because like at the very heart of that song was a cry for bring bringing the rain um on on a land that is dry um and it was just a song that had such this powerful um i guess i would say like uh desperateness to it um for rain and how beautiful rain is um in general and i i it, it moved me really deeply I, I just like bawled like halfway through the song and just kept crying throughout it just because it was just such a beautiful rendition of like that kind of ancient culture's perspective on how beautiful rain is anyway um i wish i could 
actually find it to reference. I, I may be able to look it up later um, and see if I can find it again. But um, like I said, it's like a weird African name. And so I've got to figure out what that name was. But um, anyway, so um, he's going to bless them with rain. Um, and then uh, he says this line, which I find really interesting. Um, Send the uh, rain to your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. Right. That's a, that's a line that's come up a lot in Deuteronomy, bless all the work of your hands, anything you set your hands to. But this is the line I found interesting. You will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. Um, this is interesting because um, there, this kind of does establish that there is a kind of like trade system that exists or the hope was that would exist between different nations and that um, these nations uh will have need of certain things and that like there will be this kind of like beginning of kind of this like cultural hub that Israel will be a part of and that Israel could be the um, really like the source of all of the um, growth economically for the rest of the people, uh, rest of the nations. Um, Because if you think about it, lending is the way that a person can get ahead in life a lot of the times. Um, Lending to another nation allows um, that other nation to then um, have more ability essentially to um, uh, do whatever they need to do to build their own economy up. And so I find this really fascinating that even in the Old Testament, there's a focus on um, Israel not just staying in their own little lane, but also being a life-giving source to other people, even if there's interest involved because they are allowed to uh, charge interest. Um, there is still this focus on um, uh, them being kind of a source financially for other nations, which is really fascinating to me. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. This idea being that the head is way more important than the tail because the head is where we, um, uh, in many cases, have our eyes or where we see. Um, they didn't have a concept of the brain yet, so it's not really a focus mostly on the brain, but it's mainly a focus, I think, more on the eyes and how. Um, everything that you see, um, is with your head. Um, and the tail is just this kind of part that just kind of wags, um, and droops along at the very end. And it's not, uh, very important essentially. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord, your God, that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Here again, is that kind of vertical idea of being at the top of the world as opposed to the bottom of the world. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. And he reiterates again the command, don't worship other gods. Again, this is something they break time and time again, but um, he he says don't do it as many times, if not. (laughs) He says don't do it a lot in scripture. I don't know exactly how many times he says don't turn and follow other gods, but um, uh, he says it quite a bit throughout the whole of Deuteronomy and many, many times throughout the rest of the book, and yet they still decide to do it. All right. So that's the section of blessings, <laughs> shorter section than the section of bless of curses. Um, this, this section starts with the inverse of all of the things that were said before it, right? Um, uh, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not follow his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb, crops, calves, lambs, they're all not going to be have anything right. So it's basically just inverting everything that we said before. And um, 
right? Like this is makes very logical sense. It's just you're going to get a lot of special things if you follow after God. And if you don't follow God, then you're not going to get those special things. As a matter of fact, it's going to be the negative. Um, and these things, anytime you set your hands to them, bad things are going to happen as opposed to good things. Verse 20 is interesting because verse 20 is where we do see a little bit of a switch from just the kind of like rote, like inverse of the blessings that came before it. Pretty much all of um, verses 16 through 19 are just an inverse of the blessings that came before it in verses three through six. But um, verse 20 um, it's kind of a new addition to the curses, and he kind of spends a few verses to expand on this curses section, which I find fascinating. He says he's going to send curses, confusion, and rebuke. And the NIV sometimes just does not translate words well. <laughs> it, it, it tries for a more like um, generic term, and I wish it was a little bit more specific um, than it often is. Confusion is very generic. Um, Whereas the word in Hebrew um, is more better translated dismay. Um, and then rebuke is uh, better translated as like threat. So the idea being like you have dismay, almost like depression. And then you have rebuke, almost like threat of approaching enemies, right? Or like even like a reproach or a, a, like some kind of like... Um, uh, uh, judgment of sorts, right? And so you have, uh, I, I think I would say curses, um, depression, and threats, right? Or curses, confusion, and rebukes. Is Rebukes is actually better than I would say. The middle one is the one I have the most problem with, translating it confusion. Um, rebuke kind of gets the the message across in a huge sense, but there is kind of a, like a threat component there, like a military threat component there that I think rebuke is kind of missing. But regardless of that, um, he's going to send, um, all of those things on Israel. Um, so kind of like mentally, they're not going to be great. Um, everything they do is not going to be great. And, um, command wise, the commands are going to start getting really harsh and critical. <laughs> um, and everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of your of the evil you have done in forsaking him, right? The Lord will plague you with diseases until he has destroyed you. So the first thing he says is going to happen is you're going to have diseases. This is also something that's not mentioned in the blessings. Um, he doesn't really focus on whether or not people are going to... Um, uh, be healthy all their life or not in the blessing section, but he does in the curses section um, focus in on any kind of like really terrible disease is um, uh, from the Lord as a punishment for not um, following him. And uh, he specifically talks about how um, there are diseases um, that have a very close relationship with the sixth plague of Egypt, um, the plague of boils. Um, this is, uh, something that follows, um, the plague of the cattle dying, actually, um, the fifth plague. And so you're going to actually see throughout these curses is, um, the writer of Deuteronomy reworked a lot of the plagues of Egypt back into the curses section for Israel and kind of is meant to show that what, if Israel doesn't follow God's commands, then what happened to Egypt is going to happen to them and that, um, God has no problem doing to Israel what he did to 
Egypt, um, because they have basically become Egypt in a huge way if they don't follow God's commands. And so that's that's the real um, literary focus of this whole section is really just to kind of rework a lot of the plagues of Egypt and show that um, it's the plagues of Egypt um, that show um, God's um, punishment on and God's wrath even on Israel. Which is a really important point even for like Revelation when Revelation starts reusing a lot of the plagues as well. A lot of this chapter helps to understand a lot of like the locusts and um, a lot of that kind of thing that happens in the book of Revelation. Um, so uh, maybe that helps you when you're reading the book of Re- Revelation. Um, so he's, yeah, he's going to plague with um, diseases. They're also going to have famine. Um, remember I said that a lot of the Old Testament focuses in on really three things. Um, you have um, disease, you have famine, and you have um, uh, military conquest. Those are the three big um, punishments that God will deal out. Um, and this is kind of what we see here. Um, they're going to be wasting away from disease with fever, inflammation, and then the scorching heat, um, blight and mildew. Um, that's all kind of related to famine will plague you until you perish. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. That just basically means that like the sky is not going to ever open up and, uh, give you rain and the ground's never going to like, um, open up and give you uh, water for, um, uh, well water. Um, there's just going to be complete drought essentially throughout the whole whole land. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It's just going to be completely dusty. It will come down from the skies until you are destroyed, right? So the idea being that you're just going to waste away because there's no more water anywhere. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies, right? So you've got, um, you've got pestilence, you've got um, drought and famine, and you've got uh, a military conquest, and they're going to be defeated by their enemies. Um, and it, their carcasses are going to be so much that the birds and wild animals um, are going to start eating away at the carcasses, which is just kind of disgusting. The Lord will afflict you with boils. There's the boils of Egypt. Um, with uh, tumors, festering sores, itches, right? Like just really terrible stuff. Um, and then here's the mind again. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. This com- word confusion is almost like bewilderment or astonishment of the mind. Like they're so um, confused of all the events that are happening to them, they can't even wrap their minds around it. At the midday, you will grope about like a blind person in the dark. That's a theme that comes up a lot in Isaiah, actually, is how blind Israel has become. And they're like the blind leading the blind in a huge sense. You'll be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. So the idea being that like, if you don't fall after God, then you have the inverse of what I was describing earlier, where every job you set your mind to just never succeeds every attempt to get ahead um, just falls flat um, and you just find life a misery in and of yourself Um, and that in a huge sense for this people is a is a curse that God is putting over them Um, it's it's a way of life um, that God is putting over them for not obeying him and being in close relationship with him you will be pledged to be married to a woman but another will take her and rape her this is a, a like direct kind of um, comparison to the laws that talked about if um, 
you're pledged to be married to a woman, but you're in battle, um, you should go home and actually marry the woman and have a year with her before you return to battle. Well, now, um, if he's pledged to be married to a woman, someone else is going to have her. Um, and the implication here is that they're militarily being overtaken and the, um, uh, people that come in and, um, overpower them are then just going to take whatever women they want um, when they uh, conquer because that's what would happen when you would conquer another nation in that time period. Um, you will build a house but you will not be able to live in it. Once again that's going back to the idea of if you build a house um, and haven't been able to enjoy the house for a while in the army you were supposed to um, leave the army and go back and live in the house for a while and enjoy your house for a while. That won't happen anymore because other people are going to own it um, after they've been um, invading it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will not even begin to enjoy its fruits. Same thing. Um, your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you will eat none of it. Um, your donkey will be forcibly taken from you and will not be returned. Really just, just describing like all the different types of things that are going to happen when an enemy um, nation comes in and conquers. They're going to take over their vineyards. They're going to take over their oxen. They're going to forcibly take their sons and daughters and give them to another nation, probably to get married. Um, um, and you will wear out your eyes watching for, for your sons and daughters, um, powerless to lift a hand because basically all this is just happening, right? Um, the people you do not um, that you do not know will eat what uh, your land and labor produce, and you will have nothing but cruel oppression all your days. The sights you will see will drive you mad. Um, the Lord will afflict your knees and legs with painful boils that can't be cured, spreading from the soles of your feet to the top of your head. So just really terrible stuff, right? Um, and this is all the inverse of the blessings that God has said he was going to give them. The lamb was going supposed to be for them, right? Um, the lamb was supposed to be for their children and their grandchildren. And all of this is just now inverting itself because they have not followed after God the way that they should. Then he starts talking about um, how the Lord is going to drive them and the king they set over them um, to a nation that's unknown. This is kind of a hint of exile to come, even kind of prophetically speaking towards the moment when um, they're going to get exiled to a different land, far from the land they were um, uh, supposed to live in. Um, this is also kind of calling up the idea of um, the Garden of Eden and how... Um, Adam and Eve were exiled from the Garden of Eden. Um, same thing here, they're to be exiled and they will be sent away and the king will be sent away, which all came true. Um, this all happened in uh, the time period of Babylon. Um, they'll sow a lot of seed, um, um, and uh, but it will harvest very little because locusts are going to come in and devour so much. They're like basically anything they try and grow as crops will either get eaten by lo locusts or it will just fall off shriveled and die. Um, it's all just going to be um, just really hard to do anything in the land. The foreigners who reside among you will actually be higher and higher while they sink lower and lower, right? Um, and so it's the inversion of the fact that um, it's the foreigners. And there's even a little hint here of like Paul's kind of idea of the Gentiles um, in a sense becoming the the like people that are grafted in and um, that they now are the people that... Um, are outshining the Jews in a huge sense. Um, again, go and listen to the Romans 9 podcast to really see what's going on there. All these curses will come on you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because uh, you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave. Um, 
they will be a sign and a wonder to your descendants forever. Idea being that like the curses are just as much of a sign and a wonder as the blessings are. Um, they just they show just as much what God um, asks and demands and who God is as the blessings do. Um, it's a really important thing um, to recognize that the punishments God gives are just as much meant to teach as the blessings are meant to teach. Um, actually, we learn a lot more through pain than we do through blessing a lot of the time. Through blessing, we tend to kind of ignore um, and it's harder to acknowledge God and be grateful than um, than when we have had a lot of pain in our lives. And that's something Paul even picks up in Romans 9 again. Um, the Lord will bring a nation against you, fierce-looking nation, eagle swooping down, right? Um, they will lay siege to all the cities through the land. This is a very, like, very true thing that happens with Babylon, a siege that lasts for a very long time. He goes into how, like, um, there's a gentle and sensitive man. That's not um, how you would read that today um, in English. Gentle and sensitive means, in their culture and time period, someone that didn't work. <laughs> someone that's just kind of, like, um, very um, pampered and... Um, uh, someone that has um, not rough skin, but sensitive skin because uh, they don't ever work and they don't have that calluses because they're they're very um, rich and wealthy. Um, and so uh, a gentle and sensitive man is a wealthy man and a gentle and sensitive woman, um, one that doesn't even like touch the ground with the sole of her foot because she's got like servants that uh, keep her from it, from all the dirt, dust of the ground to keep her from getting dirty. Those types of people. Um they are going to be just as worse off as anybody else in the city because they're going to have to start like eating their own children um, and eating their own family. And it's just going to become this horrible thing because of the siege that's going to happen. Um, and so it's um, the people that are the most wealthy are uh, just as just as poor and just as having to um, resort to cannibalism as even the poorest of the poor. If you do not follow all the words of his law, which are written in this book and do not revere, um, uh, this glorious and awesome name, the Lord, your God, the Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters and severe and lingering illnesses. He will bring on you all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded, and they will cling to you. The Lord will bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of the law. That's actually an interesting law line because, um, there's not a lot of mention of um, Egypt having a lot of illnesses and diseases um, in the Bible, um, apart from just like the boils and the plagues um, that sometimes kind of relate to that. But And then there's, of course, the final plague where all the firstborn um, sons die. But um, yeah, that's a very interesting uh, line. I'd have to do a little bit more research on um, what diseases Egypt was known for having that the Israelites were very afraid of getting um, and uh, what it looks like God is going to give to them if they don't follow after um, his um, his commands. Um, then the line that was promised to Abraham, you will be as numerous as the stars in the uh, sky gets reworked a little bit and said, uh, yeah, you will be that, but then all of the diseases and all the punishments are going to happen and you'll be left as few a number. Also something that Paul brings up in, um, Romans nine is that even though the promise was that they will be numerous, doesn't mean they'll always be numerous because you did not obey the Lord, your God, just as it pleased the Lord, your God to make you prosper and increase in number, so it will please him to ruin and destroy you. So the idea being that God is just as pleased with ruining and destroying as he is prospering and increasing. 
depending on if they follow after him or not, right? He he has he has the right and reserves the right to do what he wants to do after you've disobeyed him. That's something we also talk about in Romans 9. You will be uprooted from the land you enter to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. Then you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone. So the idea being that when they get exiled, they're going to lose their faith. They're going to lose any kind of like love for God, and they're just going to go after other gods even further once they get exiled and scattered, um, because now they're in a foreign country, and the gods are different in those countries, and um, yeah, it's going to be way easier to worship those other gods in those foreign lands than it is in their own land, right? Among the nations, you'll find no reproach. Uh, repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. Um, they're not going to be content in the nations there. Um, they're just going to be in misery. The Lord will give you an anxious mind, eye we- eyes weary with longing and a despairing heart. So it's not even going to go well for them after they get exiled. It's just all going to be terrible. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread both day and night, never sure of your life. Yeah. Um, this is what happens when a foreign country comes in and relocates you. You're never sure if you're going to survive the night. I mean, just l- read the story of Esther. They almost all got wiped out in the story of Esther. Um, in the morning, you will say, if only it were uh, were evening, and in the evening, if it were morning. Basically, just hoping for days to pass and in this kind of depression and apathy because like nothing's working out the way that they want it to. Because of the terror that will fill your hearts and the sights that your eyes will see. The Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey. Um, I said you should never make again. This actually is comes true in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is actually one of the people that's sent to Egypt. Um, there you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. <laughs> You're so worthless that not even Egypt will want you back as slaves, <laughs> even though that's the whole thing that's happening here is that like, they are going back to Egypt to become slaves again in Egypt, um, and Egypt's not even going to want to buy them. And that's where we leave this whole curse chapter, um, is with all of the thoughts of how um, terrible it's going to be um, if they don't follow through and how severe it is. So why did I say this is the, one of the most important chapters in the book of Deuteronomy? Because a lot of these things um, come true. And a lot of this is prophecy for Israel, and a lot of this is to show that um, Israel, uh, in a huge sense, this is where Paul picks up um, this kind of thread, is uh, Israel is cursed. Um, Israel has received the curse from the law, and um, there's nothing that Israel can do to get away from that curse. Um, All these things have happened to Israel, and the attempt for Paul to go back and try and purify yourselves again after all of these things have happened to the people of Israel um, is really just um, attempting to ignore the fact that even Deuteronomy shows that um, God has been faithful to a cursed nation. Um, and, uh, other books of the Bible that come after this show that God has been faithful to a cursed, um, people. And, um, for Paul, he begins to understand that it's faith in God, despite the situation of the law that gives a person, um, grace. And that is really where we begin to see a lot of, uh, 
Paul's thinking towards Romans. And this is really the chapter, I think, that kind of seals the deal, more so even than just a lot of people pitch the law as like an impossible thing that was impossible to follow. And I understand a lot of people say that because, I mean, it seems very severe um, as a thing, but I really don't necessarily see it as that as much, at least in what God judges Israel for in the Old Testament. Um the focus even with Paul and with God, it seems throughout most of the Old Testament is not that um, God has a problem with Israel saying that they would follow it. And then um, and really what they should have said was, oh, we'll never be able to follow this. Um, God doesn't seem to have that problem with Israel. What he seems to have as a problem is they said they would follow it and didn't. Um, and uh, they went really far astray and they signed a covenant and then didn't um, follow through with the covenant. And as a result, they were unfaithful to God. And so for God, it's it's more that like um, Israel is an unfa- unfaithful marriage partner. Um, and so what are you going to do as an unfaithful marriage partner? You know, for Paul and thinking through the New Testament, um, you can't just like pretend it didn't happen. You know, you can't just pretend that all of your unfaithfulness didn't happen. All of these curses still have to take effect. All of this um, distancing between God and Israel still has to take effect. All of this um, is part of the covenant. And so, in a huge way, um, Paul just sees the story of the law in in a way showing that this is the end for um, the story of Israel, if we just consider the law. Um, because the story of Israel ends on that note of them being exiled and them being unfaithful and uh, it just all going wrong. And so I say that this is one of the most important chapters in Deuteronomy because it is foundational to understanding why Christians at least claim that um, the law is not being abolished, but the law has come to its conclusion because Deuteronomy 28, is really showing that the Israelite story came to its conclusion with all of these curses coming about on Israel. And uh, that conclusion then demands a response from someone that either can follow the law perfectly, that is not guilty of that curse, or and redeem all of the people from their situation, a new Moses-like figure, basically, um, which is what the New Testament brings up and starts to talk about. So... Hopefully that makes some sense. You'll have to go and listen to a lot of the Romans podcast episodes to really get that full picture of Paul's thoughts. Um, But it's not a replacing of the law, like a lot of people say. Um, Even the Old Testament seems to have a kind of conclusion to the story of Israel through this lens of all the curses coming about. So maybe that makes some sense. Um, The easiest way to say it is all these curses have happened to Israel by the end of the old Testament. All these curses have happened as a result. The law has, has, has had a huge finishing say on the story of the covenant with Israel. And it has left us with this question of what to do in response, which is where the new Testament picks up. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. Like I said, this one is longer just because we had to work through so much of this, um, through just different parts of this, but, um, I hope it was worth it. I hope it was insightful and I hope this really helped you in your journey 
and I hope it gave you more peace. Thank you guys so much, and I will be back in your feed again next week. Bye.